Hey, my name is Jamili Bass Choate. My original name, Jamili Sierra Mogollon, before I came to the States and before I got married. And um, now I am an Episcopal priest and a mother of two. And um, work for the Diocese of New York, Episcopal Diocese of New York. And uh, right now I'm just enjoying the ministry and enjoying life and the beautiful weather today. And where are you from originally? I am from Colombia, South America. I'm from Bogota. I live in Bogota, born in Bogota, and uh, lived there until I was 14, 15 years old. Then we moved to Caracas, Venezuela, and lived there until I was 19. Moved from there to come to the United States to learn to speak English, and moved to Mississippi because of the price. And, um, <laughs> and in Mississippi, I met my husband. What was it like moving from Colombia to Venezuela to the States? Well, you don't know what it is to be an immigrant until you do it. Um, you also know that you are a foreigner. You always know that you don't have anybody to depend on. So I never had, I always had to have savings. I always have to have money in case of something happened. I always have to know that at any time I may have to come back to my country. So. Um, kind of don't relax too much. And I saw too many things that happened to immigrants that, um, that weren't just, and so it was always there, you know, in the back of your mind, like what's happening right now. It's, it's still in the back of your mind. I am an American citizen, but with this president, he may decide to take it away from me. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just a w very weird um, sensation. Is that a real concern? That you think might happen? Or? Oh no, I really don't think so because then even his grandparents have to leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no. Um, as, a, as a young woman in Mississippi, I worked as a waitress, so people always had... To, so I was a little bit of an exotic thing because yet in Mississippi there were not that many foreign people, so I was still kind of not... Um, things got a little worse when immigration got bigger and, and there were more people. But at the beginning it was fairly okay, just different. And uh, how did you meet your husband? <laughs> I met my husband in a great bar. Uh, it was a restaurant and he had a bar and um, he came to have a drink and I was told there was a good looking man in the bar so I went to check him out. You're being a little bit sneaky there. I know there's more of a story to the uh, <laughs> checking out in the bar. Come on, spill. Uh, there was a gay guy, good friend of mine. We have worked together for four or five years. And we had a little game to pass the nights at the restaurant. Every time a good-looking guy will come in, we will grade him. And we will grade him from, uh, from one to ten. And I didn't go to check a table unless it was a seven or above. And that day he said, oh, Jamili, there is a great looking guy at 10 in the bar. So I went to check him out and he kind of saw me. So we smiled at each other and that was the beginning of him asking people what was my name. What's it been like being married to an American man and being an immigrant from Colombia? Well, for me it was all great things. First, my husband is a white man in Mississippi. I've never felt discriminated against because I was married to him. I don't know if he ever did. There were people that did 
horrible things. One time in a restaurant, some people got up and said that they don't want to be sitting next to people like us. It was never even a, we just laughed. We didn't know what to think about it. It was not a big deal. He was a really good person. He was smart. He was well-read. Uh, we, we both loved school, and so we just made the best out of it. We both went back to school. We went to seminary together. We, so we've always been supportive to each other, and it's been a great 30-some years. So. Why did you become a priest? I didn't know that I was going to be a priest. I, ha I was a teacher. I started by being a computer um, major, and then I became um, a teacher and a social worker. I just I didn't know what I was looking for. The only thing I can reference to is that when I was young, I always wanted to be a nun, oh, because that was the only thing that I have reference to. Uh, but uh, then at 13, I was rebellious against the idea that there was no girls in the altar. So I decided that it's not for women. That's just a church for men. It took 15, 20 years to find a church that will see women as women, a church that will allow men to get married, a church that will, you didn't have to check your brain in the door. Uh, so when I found the Episcopal Church, that was exactly what I needed. Eventually people will say, oh, but you need to be ordained. We need a, um, Latinos. You have your degree. Horace and I felt very called to do it, and we did it, and it has worked out for us greatly. So this is an opportunity for women to know that there is a calling, a call for all of us, whether we are men or women, and if and there is ways to do ministry as a lay or ordained that we can be leaders in our own rights, and um, I think that's a good, a good thing. How has the U.S. changed since you first moved here? Well, politically, it has changed a lot. Um, I like, I love this country. I became an American citizen out of love because I thought, oh my God, I love the human rights stance of the United States. I know that we have as country militarily and all of that, we have done horrible things. On the other hand, for me it was important to have racism overcome, justice was really uh, a better sense of justice of what I have known in my own countries. Um, coming from Latin America, justice is <laughs> almost like a philosophical statement and not like a real thing. But here I I think I was experiencing a lot of justice, um, human rights, women's rights. Um, I don't know. I love it. Today, I'm not sure about it because what I thought it was a great thing years ago, I am afraid that has changed. And if it hasn't changed, I'm afraid people have woken up again to a racism and a, um, and a life that it was hidden for so long. Uh, five, ten years ago, it was totally inappropriate for people to come out with racist statements and things. Right now, it's kind of normal. If the president does, why not anybody else? Uh, women's uh, abuse and, and um, harassment. You know, if the president does it, why not? You know. So, I, I'm a little confused right now, but I still hope. 
I still think that maybe we needed to go from bad, from what people thought was bad to worse, so that we can take a 360 and, and uh, go back to basis and go back to value. Little sad that we are going through what we are going through right now, but maybe it's a waking call, a wake up call. So, you are responsible for global mission. So, with that global hat on, how do you think the world has changed? I think everybody has changed. Uh, let's start from my own country, Colombia. Women are very empowered. Uh, uh, people are doing great things. Uh, governments are being looked at and being more accountable. Venezuela was a country that was, for me, one of the perfect countries. Uh, when I was in Venezuela, the economic was really good, and, um, and I love Venezuela. Venezuela was the pairing of Latin America. It was such a beautiful country, but um, bad administration. Um, now it's a disaster, and everything has gone down to nothing. So it's pretty sad. So yes, the, the world has changed. On the other hand, I see Africa. You go to Africa right now, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, South Africa, you know, just few countries. Everybody has a cell phone. We are all connected globally. Um, so I think things are looking up. Uh, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I hope I'm a more of an optimist than a pessimist. So Maybe it's your optimism that gets you through the tough times as well as your faith. We've spoken about your husband and the fact you've been married 35 years, but right now it's a challenging time for you, isn't it? Mm -hmm. My husband, we didn't know exactly what he was, but um, about six, seven years ago he was pre-diagnosed either um, with Alzheimer's or dementia, we were not sure. This has been hard, and right now is the hardest time because he's going through the most difficult parts of dementia. He has lost all abilities, and, and he's really um, like a child. Care for a person with dementia is extremely expensive. But we are getting through, and hopefully we will be okay. I just hope that other people will be okay and that other organizations will open up and help people with um, husbands and wives and parents with dementia because right now just feel trapped altogether. Uh, no, not too many solutions or, or not too many obvious solutions for how they are. It's just they are too expensive for some, most of us. So. What's been the hardest part about seeing your husband suffer? The last... Um, you know, you lose a husband for a while and then he sees you for five minutes and you get back to have a husband and then it's the continuous losing him, the, the, the never-ending grief. Um, you think you have got to a good place and that you can talk about without crying and then everything comes back to zeros in, in a split of a second. What was he like when you met him in that bar? <laughs> oh, do you know, there is one thing. I can live with good memories, you know? So if memories are going to keep us and take us through life, then I have some good ones and I can keep going. I have a good marriage. 
and uh, we enjoy each other. I was the crazy wife, and he was the calmer, very serious, subtle white male that enjoyed being with me and loved me the way I was. And um, so we travel a lot. We enjoy each other, enjoy good food, enjoy good wine, enjoy um, our children, um, enjoy our ministries. He was part of mine, I was part of his. So I don't think I have too much, uh, I mean, I, all what I have is smiles. Um, there were some rough times a little bit when we were in seminary, but it was the pressure of seminary. And of course, when he got sick, but it was more the rougher part were for us to hug each other and cry because we knew that we were losing him and he knew he was losing us. So um, that was probably the hardest part. Right now, for me, it's, it's how can I keep him as comfortable as I can, enjoying the few little things that he can enjoy in life. He likes to be outside, he likes to enjoy the weather, he likes to feed the birds, he likes to feed the squirrels, and that's why he likes Arizona, and I'm going to keep him as long as I can. Um, and I can afford it because that's the other thing. But he's happy, and I think that's all what I can provide for him. It's a little happiness. I'm sure this isn't the only challenge you faced. How much of a difference do you think having faith makes to coping with the challenges? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know that I could have done it without faith. Uh, I don't know that... Um, I don't know what people who doesn't know healing, reconciliation, um, hope do with hard times, you know, because I don't know how to do it any other way. I'm grateful that I have faith. And I, sometimes it's almost like a, like a crutch, but if you cannot walk, you need a crutch, and that's what I need. And I'm grateful for it. Do you think the world would be a better place if more people had faith? I think so. I think so. Um, you know, of course, you can also look at it two ways. You can have faith and you can misuse faith. And it could be a, an ignorant faith that make you do stupid things. That doesn't mean that my faith doesn't make me do stupid things, but you know what I mean. Um, but faith with enough balance, I think, is necessary, at least for me. Um, I don't say that I haven't got depressed with my husband's illness. I don't say that it's been a, a, a gar rose garden, but it has been a, a better way with my faith to know that I have a community of faith that prays with me and, and supports me with prayer. Then if I will have that, if I will be isolated by myself with absolutely nothing to to hope for, so I don't know. I think so. Everybody needs little faith in something. Do you have a favorite verse or a favorite story that resonates with you from the Bible? You know, when we were having lunch, I was talking to you about <clears throat> the story of Lazarus, 
I love the idea that we are all Jesus' friends and Lazarus was his friend. And when one of us is suffering, Jesus suffers. When Lazarus dies, Jesus cries. Grieve for Lazarus. On the other hand, we have the same story talking about reconciliation, renewal, new life. And, and we see how Jesus managed to do this in a way that will give us almost instructions on how to help each other. I love the idea that um, Jesus, that Lazarus is in the cave. I love the idea that Jesus say, come on, show me where is he, where did you lay him? I love the idea that um, when they were all present, Jesus says, take these stones away from the tomb. To me, those are almost instructions to everybody. It makes a great sermon for once to think that Jesus instructs you and I to take these stones that are keeping people trapped in their caves with death. I don't know what death, in, in which many ways can we die. Uh, any addiction, perhaps, um, depression, I don't know. You name the kind of death that many people are living with right now. They are alive, but they are almost as if they were dead. And for me, that, that image is a very healing image. Uh, that image that Jesus tells us to remove the stones. I love the idea that Jesus is calling Lazarus to come out of that hole, to come out of that cave. I love the idea that Jesus calls me to come out of my depression or my sadness, to go and see what else is in the world. And also I love the idea that it's a community waiting for me when I come out to help me remove what is keeping me from seeing, from moving, unwrapping me from the um, wraps of death, whatever those are. So I love those, I love that passage. For me, it's probably one of my favorites. It's, it's the one, and of course, the resurrection. I love the, the, the one on Mary, when Mary is the only one that recognizes it. Um, I love the idea that Mary is the, is the person who's sitting at the tomb and witness the resurrection and is the first apostle to be sent out to announce resurrection. Um, you know, all of those stories are stories that are a renewal and it gives us all a new chance, a new opportunity to, to see life. Yes, life is not easy. Nobody would say it was. But with each other, we can come out and help each other. The difference between evil and goodness is not a, a little man with horns. <laughs> it's the indifference that we have for the world and, and, and the things that we do to each other that are horrible. But also the good part of having Jesus calling me and calling others to remove and to help us get to that point where we can face whatever is in our lives, whatever is grieving us. The church quite often gets blamed for uh, a lot of the problems, or religion, sorry, religion gets blamed for a lot of the problems in the world. Where do you sit with that? Well, if we are the moral authority on things, then we should behave in a way that, that, that gives us that moral stand. Not because we are better people, but because we are people who can do better. 
Do you still mark people out of ten when you walk into a bar? Not to a bar, but just walking around and look at it. I said, you know, it doesn't matter how old you get, your taste doesn't go away. <laughs> your good taste doesn't go away. <laughs> so it's not a great any longer. It's just, um, oh, good looking. God stays busy. Bertie Prayers, a Watchware Media Production.